This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. Earlier this year, our team put forth several analytic models that calculated a conservative estimate of inpatient days reduction across a number of different levers, including primary care at home, SNF at home, and hospital at home. We found that there is a range of tangible impact and value as we weigh capacity constraints. And if implemented properly today, reductions could range anywhere from 5 to 15% in the realm of possibility over the next decade. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host for today's episode, Jamie Zage. Here at SG2, we continue to hear from our members about capacity issues that are impacting their ability to capture growth. While there are many different approaches to addressing the capacity crunch, the care at home model is one that we believe can have a long-term impact. I am joined by my colleagues, Nikita Aurora and Eric Lamb, to talk about some of the insights they have gained as they've been connecting with our members about their care at home questions and initiatives. Thank you, Eric and Nikita, for being with me today. Nikita, why don't we start with an overview of how care at home can be a capacity lever for organizations? Sure, Jamie. Care at home can serve as a capacity lever for provider organizations by expanding the ability to deliver care outside of traditional healthcare settings and can help address capacity challenges during times of high demand or even emergencies. And by expanding care beyond their traditional walls, organizations can make strides to accommodate more patients, alleviate overcrowding, and ensure timely access to care. I'll start with a few examples that are more related to episodic care. What we see as most intuitive is the ability to provide acute care at home via hospital at home programs, ultimately resulting in the reduction of in-facility hospital admissions. By offering monitoring, treatment, and support services in the home, organizations can effectively manage certain medical conditions and reduce the burden on inpatient facilities by allowing for decanting of acute volumes in the hospital, opening up beds for higher acuity, and increasingly complex cases. In tandem to these efforts, hospital at home programs can also help in optimizing resource allocation. So that includes your workforce, equipment, supplies. All of these resources can be utilized for both inpatient care and at home services, which maximizes their impact and also has an impact on minimizing wastage. A couple examples that are more related to ongoing or post inpatient visit care include managing post acute care. Care at home can play a crucial role in post acute care management. After hospital stays, patients often and require follow-up care, rehab, monitoring, and by providing these services in the home, organizations can ensure a smooth transition from the hospital to the home, reduce the length of stay in acute care facilities. And this doesn't only help in optimizing bed capacity, but it also facilitates the recovery process by providing a familiar environment to the patient. And the last two examples I have are really the chronic disease management and the remote patient monitoring aspect of things. Care at Home enables effectively managing chronic conditions by providing regular checkups, medication management, and education within the patient's home. This approach does not only improve patient outcomes, but also reduces the need for more frequent hospital and clinic visits. And RPM, with the advancements in technology that remote patient monitoring has made more feasible and accessible, leveraging these RPM devices and telehealth platforms really helps providers assess patients' vital signs, symptoms, and overall statuses. Status allows for healthcare teams to to intervene early, prevent complications, and manage capacity more efficiently. 
Earlier this year, our team put forth several analytic models that calculated a conservative estimate of inpatient days reduction across a number of different levers, including primary care at home, SNF at home, and hospital at home. We found that there is a range of tangible impact and value as we weigh capacity constraints. And if implemented properly today, reductions could range anywhere from 5 to 15% in the realm of possibility over the next decade. That's amazing. And a lot of the work that we've done over the last 18 months, two years on this space has really revealed not only those avoidable bed days that you talked about with the acute episodic care, but it's really the avoidable admissions or readmissions. On the avoiding acute care days, and I know we've got a really great tool that you've been working on, Eric, as you've been piloting this with organizations, what are some of those insights that you've come up with? Is there something about different kinds of organizations the size of the organization that actually drives their impact. The first question that we always get is, is there enough demand in my market? What would it look like? What would the program look like? And typically we have taken a step back and said, well, let's see what program's right for you first. Is it truly a hospital home program? Or is it something else like a sniff at home or a primary care at home? Are there resources or capabilities that you have now, such as remote patient monitoring or home health services that you can leverage? And most importantly, what is your capacity as an organization to support these? Do you have the resources, the partnerships in place? When we did a recent analysis for one market where they were looking at the quaternary AMC versus community hospital, what they found was, surprisingly, the results came out, there was more opportunity for the community hospital that was a third of the size of the AMC, but would yield greater opportunity in terms of a hospital home program. When we dug deeper into it, we found that it was because of the nature of the patients that the hospital was seeing at the community hospital. It was lower acuity patients where they could benefit from these services. It wasn't those high quaternary tertiary patients that really needed to stay in the hospital. They also found that in the community hospital, there was a closer draw of patients from a geographical standpoint. These patients could go home. They could be treated, and if anything were to happen, they could come back to the hospital within 30 minutes. As opposed to the quaternary center, they were pulling patients from across the state, which meant that these patients would have a much harder time getting back to the hospital or the tertiary center in case anything happened. So it isn't necessarily that the bigger the hospital, the more complex the hospital, the more opportunity it is. It really is assessing what the local patient population is and what makes sense for your hospital and the community it serves. You bring up a really good and important story there, Eric, because it's not just about a single hospital understanding its impact, but it needs to be looked at in the context of the health system and how do we move patients. And I know that's one of the other capacity levers. Hospital at home, care at home works in tandem with system-wide planning and bed utilization across the system. So you've got those two coming together. When we look at hospital at home and the future of care at home in general, one of the biggest barriers, given the opportunity costs with the bed days you might get back, the reimbursement, though, is one of those things that causes pause with a lot of organizations. I know there's been a lot of movement and talk in this space. Nikita, how is this evolving? What are we expecting in the next 12 months, two years in terms of the reimbursement situation across care at home? The question that we're all anticipating to find out, right? 
in November of 2020, CMS introduced the Acute Hospital Care at Home program, which allowed hospitals to provide certain acute care services at patients' homes and receive reimbursements that are similar to inpatient hospital stays. This program is currently limited to a specific set of conditions and the approved participating hospitals. With the waiver set to expire by the end of 2024, there's definitely some uncertainty on how providers can continue to appropriately get paid for these services. And on one front, we're seeing a shift towards value-based care as an option which emphasizes quality and outcomes rather than fee-for-service and could provide a framework for reimbursement of hospital at home and care at home services by demonstrating improved patient outcomes, reduced readmissions, and cost savings. These models can align with the goals of value-based care and justify reimbursement. There's also a growing interest in exploring alternative payment models to support hospital at home and care at home services, including bundled payments, capitation, shared savings arrangements. These models aim to incentivize high quality care, cost savings, and improve patient outcomes as well. The development and implementation of such models, though, are going to require some collaboration between healthcare providers, payers, and policymakers. We're seeing some private payers also recognizing the potential benefits of hospital at home and care at home models. We've seen some commercial health insurers have initiated pilot programs and collaborations with healthcare providers to test out reimbursement models for these services. A lot of the time, these programs have been focused on specific patient populations or conditions such as chronic diseases and post-surgical care. And one thing that we need to be mindful of is the last of the baby boomers are going to be turning 65 by the end of 2030. They will require more hospitalizations and other forms of care associated with their older age. And evidence thus far does point to care at home being a less costly alternative than facility-based admissions and equally or more clinically beneficial. Those two criteria are going to influence what CMS's ultimate decision may be. These reimbursement policies are going to be subject to change, and specific details may vary across different healthcare systems and regions. As evidence base for hospital at home and care at home continues to grow, we would hope and expect that reimbursement models will evolve to support these initiatives and care delivery models. You bring up the importance of thinking about this from a value-based care perspective and thinking about it not just from a direct reimbursement perspective. Is somebody going to just pay for the services that we're offering? But it's really about the total cost of care. It's also coming up with some innovative ways. And Eric, in some of the work that you've been doing with our clients, you've heard some different ways, not some of these even value-based care traditional ways, but other more innovative ways to try to get at least the setup costs covered. We talk about partnerships with third-party, non-traditional provider organizations, bringing in the investment funding or the privately backed ventures that come in. But one of the unique ones that I ran into recently was a market approach. I know it's a weird concept in healthcare, but having hospital systems come together as one. Competitors that we typically see going after the same market share, realizing that there's an advantage or there's a benefit to work together to have an acute care at home program. There are some programs that we see in markets where hospitals come together and share the same patient population or share resources as they get patients settled in in the home setting. Another unique one that we saw recently was a regional government partnership where municipality was asking the hospital are asking one hospital to take the lead and identifying what is the right patient population? What are the resources that you need? What is the funding that you need? But come together, put together a plan and the local government work with you to make it happen. That's really cool. Did you have anything, Nikita? 
There are some organizations that we have seen have an emphasis on reducing total cost of care and achieving tangible outcomes that are related to that. One example that comes to mind is Unity Point. They have heavily invested in VBC and placed a priority on 30-day post-discharge management under the support of their care at home teams, which assist in transition of care. It's resulted in extremely high patient satisfaction scores of over 99% and a 13% 30-day readmission rate, which really aligns with their transformational target goal. Another organization that comes to mind is Prisma Health. Their innovative hospital-level care at home program, known as Home Recovery Care, recently celebrated treating their thousand patient. Since its launch, its program has actually reduced the number of inpatient hospital stays by more than 4,000 days for their participating patients. They saw that in 2022, less than 5% of their home care recovery patients had returned visits to the ER. Less than 7% had hospitalizations during their acute phase of care, and the program received an 87% patient satisfaction rate, which many also say they would fully recommend the program to their friends and family, which is huge. Yeah, that's consumerism pushes is another big piece of it. One of the ways that we've seen organizations be strategic in this space is focus on the inpatient days. So we've been talking about, especially with hospital at home and acute care at home, and this is a measure of the magnitude of how much that lever can pull for you. How are organizations looking at avoidable days as a way to help them focus their early efforts? One example of taking an upstream approach to care at home strategy can be seen with the work that Intermountain has done with their home-based primary care program. In the last year and a half, the system saw nearly a 35% reduction in avoidable emergency department visits for patients in their home-based primary care program, which also resulted in a nearly 8% reduction in medical expenses. Results pointed to them being able to keep patients out of the emergency department by providing them with the support that they needed so that they no longer had to go in for reasons they previously had been. And when assessing their track record with 30-day readmission rates, the program actually had a resounding zero with their hospital at home program also seeing successful 40% reduction in readmission rate when compared to patients whose entire stay was in the hospital. In addition to primary care at home efforts, some organizations have actually been focusing efforts on surgical post-op care in the home. IU Health is an example of a program that has a post-operative home care service, ensuring help from nurses, therapists, home health aides, etc., to help patients heal safely from the comfort of their homes. They provide an assessment of living conditions to ensure that the patient's home is able to accommodate care in the home setting, and once approved, administration of appropriate pain management equipment, IV tubes, or medications medications is completed along with any required education on how to properly dose and manage their care. They'll have regular team visits that are going to monitor and make sure PTOT visits are coordinated by their care managers and just oversee the entire healing process. In more of the innovative space, I recently encountered a really interesting New England Journal of Medicine article on how AI-driven measures of activities of daily living, or ADLs, can help bolster a home recovery surgical care model. These monitoring systems will theoretically allow clinicians to collect and analyze continual patterns of individual activity effectively and learn any individual behavior norms that will allow them to quickly predict and detect any events that could be associated with changes in their activities of daily living, so falls or near falls. And they can integrate these findings from monitoring into clinical care pathways to provide any actionable support in the home care decisions and facilitating personalized interventions. And while we're still a far way out from the actual implementation of this type of model, it really showcases the potential for innovation in this space. 
the innovation part is we're seeing organizations, a part of the innovations, look at their specific patient populations as well. We talk about a hospital at home, at home, but in actuality, we're seeing hospital at home and hospital to home. Two different strategies, talking through the differences, a hospital at home is those patients, as an example, that come into the hospital. They don't necessarily need that inpatient admission, and they go straight from the ED to the home setting, and hence hospital at home. We also have organizations that are considering hospital to home. Some of your post-surgical patients, we know they're elective surgeries, they're coming in, they need to stay in the hospital for a certain period of time. But instead of staying those six, seven, eight days, could we send them home two or three days early and reduce the length of stay that way? We have organizations that are both looking at short length of stays via the hospital at home and the long length of stays via the hospital to home. And depending on your patient population, depending on your capacity to take on these patients, it's not a one size fits all. It's dependent on your patient population and your organizational goals and where you have opportunities to increase capacity by leveraging these at home services. Eric, you described an organization as well that focused more on the smaller volume but longer length of stay patient because that actually gave them more bed days saved than if you just took the higher volume but shorter stay patient, especially when you talk about the complexity and the cost to put this infrastructure in place to get patients back into their home. You want to make sure you maximize your gains from it. Exactly. We've covered a lot so far today. Anything else that you'd like to talk about or mention to our listeners? One thing that I would say is as we keep in mind legislative changes that are going to come into play, there's a lot that's going on right now in the policy front and the political front. And so this legislation changes could be extended as it exists today, but it could also make alterations and change the duration of the extension or could make changes based on CMS data. There could be attempts to adjust DRG rates. So it's really important just just remain open-minded and be open to any possibilities that could come forth. This is not a one-size-fits-all kind of scenario. With all the regulatory changes, with the uncertainty around reimbursements, things will change. Since another organization does it a certain way, doesn't mean that it's right for your organization. So understanding what is your patient population, what capacity do you have, what risk are you willing to take, and what your organization goals are is so important. What we see more organizations do, and especially in this age of uncertainty, is being able to do pilot programs, being able to start something, try it out, see what the results are, evaluate it in three months, six months, nine months, and make adjustments. It's not uncommon to start a pilot with a certain vision in mind, change it within six months, a year, or adapt it so that you do meet the needs of your patients or you do adapt to more data and analytics as you go further along the program. So having that dynamic capability, being willing to try things out and being reactive to data and analytics is key to the success of these programs. That's a great closing set of comments there. As we've all been working with organizations in this space, we realize that there's not a one set of clinical care guidelines framing this. This is still in its infancy in terms of its evolution to be sort of that mainstream type of care being delivered. There is a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of change that's going on. That's a great way to make sure that our audience understands where this innovation is on the landscape. And I think it's a great way to close our conversation today. So thank you, Nikita. Thank you, Eric, so much for being here with us today. 
If you are interested in this topic, care at home, or its impact on capacity, which is obviously another reason why it's so important, we have a whole host of podcasts from SG2 Perspectives, as well as from Vizient. So please do look for some of those additional podcasts on sg2perspectives.com or Vizient Inc. Dot com backslash podcasts. We also have a webinar coming up on Care at Home. If you are a Vizient Network member, that's another resource coming your way. It's the conclusion of a multi-year project focused on helping our members on Care at Home as well. So thank you both, Nikita and Eric again, and thank you to our listeners for your attention today. Thank you. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments or ideas for episodes and you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com additionally i recommend that you check out some of the other Vizient podcasts which cover a range of clinical and operational areas those can all be found at vizientinc.com backslash podcasts mm-hmm.